This is the grief class for the recording, just so I can say that I do, in fact, have it. Amen. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for a husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more sorrow, death, crying, or pain. All these things are gone forever. I love that passage because that describes what heaven will be like. It's so encouraging, just the thought of no pain. You know, in heaven, there's no need for a grief lesson. There's no need for a suffering lesson. None of those things are even relevant. But, as we all know, we don't live in heaven. <laughs> and in this fallen world, we do suffer grief. We do suffer trials. We're reminded, Peter reminds us, that we'll suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Jesus tells us in this world that we'll have trouble. In fact, each day has enough trouble of its own. There's different types of grief, and, and, and many of our stories start when we were quite young. Maybe, uh, like us, uh, you were a part of your, your parents. Uh, you watched the demise of their marriage. Maybe your father visited. Maybe your father wasn't there at all. Maybe you don't have a father that you knew. We start grief at a very young age. It would be nice to say if that were not the case, but that is, in fact, kind of how it goes. For many of us, uh, that, that's just kind of our life. I think for us, you know, we, we certainly have gone through our fair share of things. But I think life really picked up for us for in 2011, 2012. Now, that doesn't mean that life was perfect before. You know, we were singing zip de doo doo da before. But in 2011, things, things really picked up. Our grandson was born on Thanksgiving 2011. That was the same year I turned 50. And I think I was under the naive assumption that when you turn 50, man, you just, you just hit cruise control. You know, uh, your, your, your career is set. Uh, you, you are making uh, a decent amount of wage. People are coming to you to ask, ask questions. You know, that's, that's neat, right? Uh, you've got the car, you've got the house, you've got all of those things, and you're just going to go on cruise control from then on out. And the, and the reality is so much different, as I know many of us can attest to. But our grandson was born, little Dustin, <clears throat> uh, on Thanksgiving 2011. He was born premature. Um, started out doing well. But then came a time when he was not doing so well. And he never quite made it out of neonatal ICU. In fact, in 16 months after he was born, uh, he died. And we had to learn how to, excuse me, I promised myself I wouldn't try not to do that, but so much. But anyway, you know, that kind of happens. This is life. Life is hard sometimes. Um, but, you know, he didn't make it. Now that was in, he was born in th around Thanksgiving. But then in April of the following year, our oldest daughter, Diana, and we have five daughters, by the way. Our oldest daughter found a lump. In her, in her throat. It turned out to be something called a carotid body tumor. 
In English, what that is, she had a tumor wrapped around her jugular vein. Well, she was 30. And, of course, it turned out to be cancerous. And um, we kind of went through that. We got to the point where we would go. One weekend was spent in uh, New York with Ona, his mother, daughter, and little Dustin. The other week was spent in New Orleans with Diana as we went through that process. We didn't go to the 2012 World Discipleship Summit because God kind of gave us our own. Um, we spent uh, that, I believe that day, we drove up to New York because we got a word that he probably wasn't going to make it. And little Dustin had this knack of kind of teasing us. You know, he would, he would get right near the brink and then he'd be fine. So we made all these trips up and back, uh, which is fine. Uh, but we drove up there. He turned out doing, he was doing okay. Then we drove back to New Orleans from New York uh, just to arrive in time for Diana to come out of her surgery. We're excited. We're hopeful. Amen. Thank you, God. She's come through. I can remember journaling that next morning. We get a call. You got to come to the hospital. She's had a stroke. And so (laughs) that's kind of how life was. Uh, She's recovered for the most part. She's now a pediatric neurologist. Uh, We're fired up about that. Uh, She's used, she's able to use most parts of her body. She still has some issues with her hand, but in many ways, and she will tell you this, this made her much better, better doctor. But on the way from New Orleans um, to back here, we get the call, Lindley's aunt dies. <laughs> that was on the way back from New Orleans. The very next month, I found myself in the hospital being diagnosed with COPD. I had had breathing issues before, but now they gave it an acronym. And so I had something that I didn't quite understand that they gave me drugs for. And I found it wasn't a cure for and that the prognosis wasn't so good. So, okay, we, we, we kind of dealt with that and kind of life went on. Uh, after that, we came in March and that's when little Dustin died. Uh, a few months after that, uh, that was in March. And, you know, scriptures like Rachel, Rachel weeping for her children uh, became very real for us. As I watched my daughter. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I drink uh, Earl Grey and honey. It's really good for the lungs, by the way. (laughs) That's not medicinal. It's probably some kind of placebo, but it works for me. (laughs) Anyway, we came back, went through that. I remember driving back from New York uh, telling my wife, you know, our life is rich now. (laughs) It's rich. It's a level we've never seen before. Six months after that, my dad got lost going to see his attorney that he had been seeing for 30 years. And we began the process of dealing with elderly parents, dealing with dementia, dealing with having my dad. My dad is still here, and I'm so grateful for that. But the dad that I knew is not. The body is here, but the rest, you know, my my hero, my... Anyway, so we've gone through that. And that's something we go through now. And so what we share today is kind of from those experiences. We are not grief counselors. Uh, We have no degrees that qualify us to share anything with you today. But what we hope to share is how God has carried us along through that process, has able to give us hope, able to make us smile 
through that process when, when things look really dark, but that you can still find hope and faith Amen. in our God. Amen. Amen. We learn quite clearly that God is the only one that can cure a broken heart. Amen. You know, life keeps going. We're still dealing with my dad. And then this year, uh, we had good friends who moved from Guam. Uh, some of our best friends, uh, Matt and Sheila Weir, she got a horrible diagnosis, amblyidosis or something. Deb could tell you what it is. Uh, they gave her a year to live, uh, as God would have it. Uh, she lived longer than a year. But this past March, suddenly, uh, as we're getting ready to go to church, I get a text from my wife, Sheila's passed. And so we suffer loss. We go through hard times. It's just kind of the way it is. Amen. There's no pure, no pill that can cure it. There's no magic potion. Uh, but I am certain, and I think my wife and I would agree, and many of you who've been through things would agree, that God is the one that can cure us. Amen. God is the only one that can heal a broken heart. That doesn't mean everything will be perfect, but it does mean that God will heal. So point number one, choose to grieve with God. In Psalm, and I'm going to start speeding up. Um, I see the clock here. Uh, in Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. In Psalm 147, verse 3, heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Our God is familiar with loss and the pain that we suffer. We know from Isaiah 53 that it said that Jesus is a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. He knew what it was like to go through hard times. And so he is the perfect healer. In preparing for this, it was, you know, maybe this sounds dumb. But I decided, let me look up some scriptures where Jesus dealt with people who were going through hard times. I had to stop. Why? Because that's all he did in the Bible. I mean, one after the other, after the other. It's interesting. You can do a study on it. Go and look at some of the passages. But don't look so much on what he did. Take, try to get a glimpse into the lives of who he did it to. Imagine the woman bleeding for 12 years and what she must have felt at that time going through that. Or the guy blind, blind from birth, and all of a sudden he can see. And what that must have meant for his life. So Jesus is the perfect healer. And he is the one that can heal our broken hearts. Um, but, so we have to choose to grieve with God. But before we get there, the, the bottom line is we have to choose to grieve. You know, grieving is messy. Yeah. Grieving is hard. Yeah. Grieving doesn't give us answers. Yeah. But we have to choose to grieve. Yeah. Grieving is our way of paying honor to what we've lost. Yeah. It's, it draws us closer to God. It deepens our relationships with, with one another like nothing else can. It deepens our relationship with God like nothing else can. Because at those times, you can feel like that's all you have. It's God, so you've got to choose to grieve. It helps us to mature spiritually. It helps us to grow. It teaches us humility. And most of all, it helps us to heal. When we suffer significant loss and pain, <clears throat> and we choose not to grieve, it does not only us harm, but it does the people around us harm. Because the opposite happens. We choose not to honor the ones that we've lost. We develop a certain hardness to us. We stop maturing. We stop growing. 
we reach, I think, a spiritual point in our lives where things just kind of stop because we choose not to grieve. We can become irritable. We can become anxious. We can become addictive. We can engage in addictive behavior, using drugs and all that. We can become apathetic, numbness. You know, this is something, again, I experienced in my own life. In 1992, um, 1990, I had already had three daughters at that time. Um, And I had another daughter, Maya. Maya was born premature, um, but she was doing okay. And then on the ninth day of her life, she was not doing okay. And then the doctors came in and said, well, we need you to think about pulling the plug. (laughs) I was not a Christian. Uh, I was 27, 28, I don't remember. I think sometimes it's like a blur. I don't remember. But I had never been through anything of that before, like that, in my life. I had no clue how to deal with that. But I said, okay, fine. You know, and she died. And the one time I got to hold her is when they gave her to me then. And that was it. Uh, But I was alone. My parents couldn't talk to me for whatever reason. Uh, My friends at the time couldn't talk to me for whatever reason. Um, But the truth is, I did not grieve. Now, I wept uncontrollably when they handed it to me. I couldn't hold her. I don't even want to think about it. But that was just a brutal experience. And for those of you who have gone through it, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. But in the interim, I started using drugs more. I was already using drugs. I just started using them more. I developed a hardness about about it. I could talk about Maya's death like I talk about the news. So what's the score again? Yeah, by the way, my daughter died. If you knew me back then, you knew that was true because my heart had grown so hard to it. Um, but in God's mercy, amen. Uh, the other thing that happened was I diver- developed an aversion to being around babies. Um, I didn't dislike babies, but I just could not be around them. And when you become a disciple, as you know, the church was small here, but they still had a lot of babies. (laughs) And uh, don't put me in children's ministry. (laughs) I don't want to be in children's ministry. And it just seemed like God just kept putting me, changing some nasty diapers. I don't want to change diapers. I don't want to hold any babies. I don't want to touch any babies. You know, but I, I didn't know what was going on. And thank God through discipling and through actually being a disciple, uh, Reuben Marbury's daughter got sick then and I got to go to the hospital. I didn't plan on running into memory lane, but I did. But God allowed me to grieve. But there's a lot of damage in that in that four year period. So we've got to choose to grieve. Amen? Amen. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. Things don't happen in a vacuum. Choose to grieve and choose to grieve with God. Uh, thank you again for letting us share. What I would like to share is not just some practicals on what grieving with God even looks like. You know, we say that, but it doesn't, it's like, okay, do I just pray or like, how do I do that? Because I'm feeling all these emotions and I'm an emotional person. Those emotions just are everywhere. And so um, what choosing to grieve with God looks like 
I have five just quick practicals for you. Okay? Number one is embrace your grief with God. And that looks like what David did. The Psalms are amazing when you look and you just see him pouring out his heart to God. But he doesn't always just pour out the pretty stuff. You know, it's amazing. He, he does, he praises God, but he also says things like in Psalm 77. It says, I cried out to my God for help, and when I cried out, I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord day and night. I stretched out untiring hands and would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days that years of long ago, I remembered the songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Has his unfailing love vanished? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? These are some intense questions that David was not afraid to ask God. He says, has your anger withheld my compassion? And then I thought, to this I will appeal to the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. I love that David was not afraid to be real and raw with God. And grieving with God is about being real and raw, even when it's not pretty. God is big enough to handle your questions. He's big enough to handle your anger. He's big enough to handle your disappointment. He's big enough to be there to catch you when you fall. God is big. Ask your questions. Embrace your grief with God. Use a journal. You know, the Psalms are really kind of like David's journal. That's, I mean, praise God that we have them. He praised God in them, and he cried out to God in them. Use your journal. Write out those feelings and, and, and let God minister to you through them. It also helps you not to take it out on people. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, number two, wait on the Lord in the confusing in-between. What does that mean? There's a space between our loss and the time when we get at peace with God in our loss. And that chasm can be large. It, it takes a while. It takes some wrestling to get there. You know, your emotions, it, it, during that time, it's, that's many times the time when we lose our way. Or we feel like, God, are you still here? Why is my heart still breaking? And I'm still hurting. Nothing feels the same, our concentration's off. Maybe our routines have changed. We can't have quiet times the way we used to because our mind keeps going all over the place. It's just hard to get a grasp. It's that confusing in-between time. Fear is there, uncertainty is there. But those are the times we need to really learn to wait and cling to God. Look in Psalm 130. In verse 1 through 7. I love this word. It says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I will put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than a watchman waits for morning, more than the watchman waits for morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. 
for the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Amen. We have to learn, waiting on God is an important thing, it's a huge theme in the Bible. Just learning to wait on God until he brings us to that place of peace. Until he brings us to that place where we can look back and say, oh, now I see the reason. Oh, now, God, I understand. But we've got to wait and cling to him in that confusing in-between time. David always came back to, yet I will praise the Lord. Yet I will trust in you, even though I don't see what's happening, Lord. We've got to be like the disciples who told Jesus when Jesus said, will you go too? There's nowhere else to go. There's no plan B. We can sometimes think about a plan B. Like, is this worth it? During that time, we really can. We can think about that. We don't want to admit that to anybody, but we can think all kinds of things during that intense time. But we've got to be like the disciples. There is no plan B. Job waited for 35 chapters with his friends telling him all kinds of stuff. He just waited and waited, hearing all kinds of things. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. But finally, he heard from God. And that brought him to a new place with God. It's not even like he wasn't righteous before. He was righteous. But he had someplace else to go with God. Amen. Number three, while you wait, worship. Worship lifts our eyes off of our pain. It helps us remember how big and awesome our God is. Worship can be a balm for the soul. You know, let certain songs find that. We have some amazing songs now. Let find certain songs. Let them just keep speaking to you. Let them, let them express what's going on in your heart. That can lift you and hold you and help get you to that next place. Number four, don't stop giving. Grieving is exhausting. You kind of feel like you can't, you can't do a lot. And it can be discouraging because you're used to studying the Bible and running around from place to place and helping people and doing all kinds of things, but it's, it's exhausting. It can be very, a very lonely time when you're wrestling through your thoughts. But give. Don't stop giving. Give what you can. You know, there's a, um, there's a sister, Ari Lee, from, she really taught me about this. And she was going through um, her parents. She had elderly parents that she was taking care of, you know, over an hour away that she was driving back and forth. And um, during that time, she, she, obviously her parents, her parents were dying. They were in the nursing home. They're going back and forth. And, and she just kept going, but she never stopped sharing her faith. Even in the middle of all of that, not even, honestly, with the energy to, to even follow up. And so she met one of her coworkers, Lori, and, and they, Lori's right here, actually. <laughs> they, um, she invited her to church. Lori came, and Ari Lee brought Lori to me and said, you know what, um, I can't even study with her right now, but here. <laughs> that's, that's all she could do. And Lori became a Christian. God blesses the little things that we can give, and he multiplies them. Like those two copper coins the woman gave. It wasn't much, but God multiplied what she was able to give. Don't stop giving. 
What's amazing is that, you know, shortly thereafter, Lori actually lost both of her parents on the same day. Wow. And then her sister a few months later. Wow. Imagine if Ari Lee hadn't given just that little bit she had. It changed Lori's eternity. It put Lori in a place that she could be surrounded by the kingdom and upheld. What we give during our times of grief is powerful. God can use that. Don't stop giving. Finally, let your grief or loss birth something new in you. Godly grieving is not just about letting go, but it's about letting the loss birth something new in us. That newness may be a depth in your relationship with God. It may be a new ministry. It may be a new passion. I love Sheila's mom. Sheila's mom, it's a new passion. She's been quilting. And everybody wants Sheila's mom's quilts because, because she's connected to Sheila. And it's beautiful, but it births something new in her. It's just been a wonderful ministry that's blessed her as well. Let it birth um, maturity in you. Take away layers of being superficial because you understand God at a new level. That's what godly grief is about. Being different at the end than you are at the beginning. God uses it. Don't be afraid of it. Work your way through it. Awesome. Look over in Psalm 31. Thanks, babe. She's awesome. Amen. Again, God's proof of God's mercy. <laughs> for me. I don't know for her, but for me. <laughs> in Psalm 31. Uh, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let me be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. A strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress and for the sake of of your name, lead me and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Spirit, deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Down in verse 9, be merciful to me, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, and my years by groaning my strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. When we read this passage, we see a man that is grieving. We see a man that is going through a really tough time, but I want us to pay attention to verse 4. Verse 4 says, keep me free from the trap that is set for me. I believe David wrote this when he was on the run from Saul, but I believe this is an important fact, an important point for us to remember. Because when we go through hard times, if you divorce, losing a child, whatever it is, losing a loved one, losing a friend, uh, I believe it's a time when we are most vulnerable and our most weakest, our weakest. That's the time, if you look at animals, you look at the lion, who does the lion go after? The weak one in the flock. So that means, I believe, that we're prime targets for Satan. And Satan, let me tell you, Satan doesn't ease up just because you lost someone. <laughs> Satan doesn't, you know, well, I'm going to take it light on him. He's going through a hard time. 
Oh, they just lost the baby. I'm not going to, oh, no more struggles for you. you. You get a break. That's not how it works. And I believe one of the number one ways that he comes at us is through self-pity. Because we start to feel like no one is going through what I'm going through. Self-pity is Satan's tool to take us out. Self-pity keeps the focus on ourselves and not God. It makes us isolated. It prevents us from seeing God and remembering what he has done in our lives, what he is doing, and what he will do again. It robs us of hope. It keeps us from being healed, from growing, from helping others. It leads us to thinking, I'm the only one. No one understands. No one appreciates what I'm going through. No one cares about me. In fact, God doesn't care about me. God doesn't even have my best interest in mind. If he did, I wouldn't have lost my baby, son, husband, mother. You, you fill in the blank. In fact, I don't need a God like that. That's where we end up if we go down the road of self-pity. Self-pity will take us out. And it's not easy. I'm, look, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, going through these times are not easy. Some of the things that we shared have been uh, 2012 or six years ago when Maya died. It was 1990. What's that, 28 years ago? But if I think about it, it's fresh because the pain is there and it's real. But Satan wants me to go down self-pity. He wants me to throw, uh, I think I heard Mark on a while this year. He wants me to throw a pity party where I'm the only one there. <laughs> you know, nobody else comes. So, by choosing to grieve with God, we avoid the demon of self-pity. Point number two, choose to grieve in community. Choose to grieve with one another. Romans 12, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 2 are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If one falls down, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and who just, and has no one to help them up. Grief is not, grief is not a solo sport. It's meant to be lived out in community. If you ever look at the Bible, if you ever notice, there's always a crowd with the widow. There's always a crowd with who's ever grieving at that time. When Jesus went um, to, to pray before going to the cross, he didn't go by himself. He took his three boys with him. You know, it's meant to live to be lived out in community. Proverbs 17, 17. Um, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born of adversity. It's during these times that we need our relationships the most, not the least. We don't need to be isolated, although Satan wants to isolate us, although pain wants to isolate us. That's the last thing that we need. It's times like this that we need a Barnabas. We need someone to encourage us. We need someone that we can talk to. And by all means, when you're going through things, feel free to share. Share your ugly, share your nasty. Share whatever you're going through. I like to write in my journal. And you read my journal. My journal's not pretty. There's some things in there that I'm sure are sinful. God, God is, I'm sure. Please forgive me. Amen. But, um, but it's real. It's what I was feeling. I didn't have answers. 
but it, it was real. But I needed someone who I could share that with. I needed a human being that I could touch and say, I feel like garbage today. I don't want to be at church. I don't want to be here. I don't want to talk to you, for that matter. <laughs> but, we, but, we, but we need that. And I needed a Barnabas to encourage me. We need a Paul to call us higher. There was a time when we were going through the thing with little dust, and I was at the hospital, and I'm talking to the doctor. The doctor was this tall and this pregnant. And so she's telling me that I need to convince my daughter, who's over here weeping, under control, un, weeping uncontrollably, that you just need to let him die. Okay? While they're talking, and I'm not making this up, while they're talking, I get a text from Diana. It's cancer. You know, <laughs> um, we're staying at the Ronald McDonald house. We, we get through that. I mean, thank God I didn't start drinking heavily or anything like that. We go there. As soon as we go in the door, man, there's a little girl, pretty little blonde, blue-eyed little girl, with a big patch out of her head because she had had some kind of brain tumor. And on seeing that, I just, like, I just threw up my hands. I start sending out massive text messages. I wasn't a big text messenger before then. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I help my daughter? What do I say to the doctor? I want to curse her out. You know, leave my daughter alone. <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you do in those times? But I'm so grateful for Paul Versace. There's a lot of brothers that, that amen, they, they, they were encouraging, but I appreciate Paul. He sent me a text back and said, maybe it's skating. Brother, you need to have faith. You need to trust God. And that he just lifted me up. And so that I was able to keep going and keep dealing with the situation. Amen? Amen. We need a Jonathan. In, in <clears throat> First Samuel 24, right, Tony? First Samuel 24. <laughs> I didn't write down the scripture. David was going through a hard time. He was on the run. Jonathan came and helped him find strength in the Lord. And that's what we need. We need our friends to help us to see God. To see what he is doing and remind us of what he has done in our life. We need that. We, we, I mean, it is absolutely necessary. I want to just share just briefly... If you're helping someone who's going through some challenges, you know, I want to encourage you to be one of those brothers or sisters or whatever for your brother and sister who's going through that hard time because they need you. Give them the license to share and don't pass judgment on their sharing. You know, I think Martha gets a bad rap in the Bible because if you look at John 11 when, when Jesus comes and he says, uh, you know, Lazarus is already dead. They both say, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now Mary fell on her, fell on her face. Martha apparently didn't fall on her face. That doesn't mean Martha wasn't grieving. Because we grieve differently. Not everybody grieves the same. You look at the Bible, when God grieves, he gets angry. He gets angry. And then sometimes he weeps. Don't pass judgment. Don't expect people to grieve the way you do. But logically, you know in your head that if this person just lost their spouse or they just lost the baby, they're hurting because they have to be hurting. That's the logical conclusion. 
Don't judge how they respond. Give them the freedom to share from where they're at. Educate yourselves on how to help them. You know, when, when Sheila died, thank God I didn't, hadn't been through losing that. I don't want to go through that ever. <laughs> um, but I didn't know how to, how do you help a guy who just lost his wife? I don't know. So I called LaQuince because LaQuince had lost his wife. And I got advice from him. I knew that Mark Ottenweiler and Lynn Ottenweiler had did a lesson on losing their spouses. So I listened to that. I tried to gather as much information as I could, not so that it would make me an expert, but so that somehow I could begin to understand, well, if this guy felt that and he lost his wife, then there's a good chance that you might be feeling that. And so I was able to do, take my filthy rags and do the best I could and continue to do the best I could. Educate yourselves. Learn about how to help people through these hard times. Give them the opportunity to share and ask real questions. Amen? Amen. Going back to David and Jonathan, or oh, I've got the scripture, actually a Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 23. You're supposed to call me on that, brother, and you didn't. Come on, man. <laughs> just, just leave me up here hanging. Um, not only um, did David um, help uh, Jonathan find strength in the Lord, he helped him to believe again. And that's our next point. Choose to believe again. God still has a dream uh, for us. You know, these are difficult times. And the truth is, during these times, we could just lose hope. Yeah. Look at, you can, I'm, I'm just going to reference scriptures for the sake of time. If you look at Luke 24, you'll see as they're walking along the road to Emmaus, Jesus kind of pops up and he's talking to these brothers and they're discouraged. They're going through a hard time. But there's one thing, let me see, one thing that they said, and it's in Luke 24, uh, bear with me, so I don't want to paraphrase. In Luke 24, <laughs> I can't see this, anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, he approaches them, and he asks them, what are you discussing as you walk along the road? They stood still, their faces downcast, they're grieving. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. And before God and all the people, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Everything about what they were feeling, everything about where they were spiritually is in that phrase. But we had hoped. And when we suffer loss, when we go through the things that we go through in life, it's, it, it's that we had hoped. We had hoped that Sheila was going to make it. We had hoped that Maya would live. We had hoped that little Dustin would grow up. We had hoped that this couple would have survived their marriage. We had hoped that all of our children would be disciples. We had hoped that they would have come back when they left. We had hoped that I would have been able, we would have been able to retire at this job. You fill in the blank. But the beauty is, is that God gives us hope. Amen. In Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. At this time, we're going to have Dave Strickland and Sam share. Um, I don't know how to get this here, but if you want to turn around and probably going to have to speak louder than you know how to do this. Oh. oh, yeah, if you could put it down. Okay, um, so my name is Dave Strickland, MD, uh, and um, I was baptized uh, in 1989. Um, this is uh, lovely Sam right here, and uh, you know, so I'm just going to talk about two things. Um, uh, my, my, my wife, my, my former wife was, um, had been sick for about 10 years and I, and I lost her. I lost her. And you know what? But I am so happy that I lost her because I know where she is and she's with God and I'm happy for that. So, um, you know, that's just one of the things you got to do. You got to keep on keeping on. And, uh, you know, then, uh, Secondly, um, about uh, about um, two and a half years ago, um, I lost my legs. It's, it's no legs. Look, it's just no legs. <laughs> I mean, but you know, you got to say, okay. Now I have to do do with that and, and be 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 cool with that because um, you know I had a stroke. Um, I, I had what's called a a, a nephrectomy. I'm sorry, um, splenectomy, you get the spleen out. And then I got all these clots, and I was in and out of consciousness. <clears throat> as, as, long as, I, <clears throat> as long as I can remember, I was in and out of, of consciousness. And they kept saying, okay, we're going to try there, and we're going to try there. And then next thing you know, boom, I lost my legs. But I have to go forward. So amen, amen. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, the, the other thing I wanted to share um, is... Um, as Rodolfo has said, I have commanded you, uh, be strong and courageous. Yeah. <laughs> be strong and courageous. Um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged, man. You got to keep on keeping on. Uh, and, you know... Um, <clears throat> for you, for you, your God is with you. Amen? Amen. Remember that. For you, your God is with you. I have no legs, but I'm grateful. So, so amen. Amen. Hi, I'm Sam. And uh, for those of you who know me, um, for the many years I've been a disciple, um, I used to be married to Keith Pierce, um, so it was Sam uh, Pierce then. And we were married for almost 25 years. And then, um, you know, throughout the course of the marriage, uh, there was unfaithfulness. And it was dealt with through the eldership at our church. And uh, I thought things were going well. But then God has a way. You know, my, my catchphrase is, in God's time. <laughs> and in God's time... He revealed a lot more that I needed to know. I then had to make a decision with what I needed to know. And as you can see, these are my notes. I'm a 
timeline keeper. I'm a teacher, so I plan. And uh, you know, what am I going to do this today, next month, and for the entire year? You see my calendar; it's all figured out. <laughs> I had no plans on what, what to do now. What do I do? But I knew who was going to guide me. So I clung to God. Okay, this was back in 2007, after being married for over 25 years. You know, I gave my life. You know, loving unconditionally. Being a wife, mom, three children, incredible children. And now, you know, have you read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes. <laughs> well, my cheese wasn't moved, honey. It was tossed in the ocean. And I'm like, okay, I've got to make a decision on what to do. So my relationship with God was strong. You know, faithful wife, uh, committed to doing what I do. You know, serving a church, serving a children's ministry serving a Saturday Academy, working full-time, and taking care of my children, but yet God was number one in my life. And my children knew that. They knew my allegiance was to God, especially as teenagers. Um, so with the decision uh, I had to make was, okay, after being given a warning and getting advice from the eldership, I decided, you know what? I can't do this anymore. And I think it was God's voice Stirring in me, okay, I've given you a choice. Which road are you going to take? You've dealt with this for so many years. Enough is enough. And you know, as Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans not to hurt you or to harm you, but to give you a better life. I stuck to the Bible even more. I read every day. I cried. I cried so much. I cried more in that one year than I did in my entire life. The pain was so deep because I'm on the straight and narrow, I'm, you know, clear and whatever. And now for this to happen to me, it's like, and we were visible in church. He was a song leader, children's ministry. We were serving. And for this to happen, because he decided to leave God, and I'm like, I'm not leaving God. I'm not going anywhere. I know where my bread is buttered, and I'm going to stay there. Okay? So I said, okay, if you want to leave, that's fine. And knowing the history, I knew, but I wanted him to admit it. So I asked him several times, no, 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 it's all good, it's all good, but in God's time, okay? Two months later, God revealed, revealed, clear to me, in paper, I had to read it, I'm like, really, is this happening? So again, my decision was clear. Separation, I asked him to leave, that was a hard choice. You know, we built a home, you know, a four-bedroom house, two-car garage, the whole, you know, kitten caboodle. But here, my life was totally severed in the relationship. But I knew my God. I knew the scripture, and I knew I had to hold on because that was my only source of strength. And I knew God was giving me courage because I knew God loved me. I know God loves all of us. But I knew, and I knew deep down in my soul that God loved me. And he wouldn't bring me to this point if he didn't have something to show me and move forward. And I had to do what I needed to do to honor him. So I made the choice to file for divorce in 2008. Several things happened after that. Not only did I have filed for divorce, he didn't pay the mortgage as he promised. So guess what? We need to pay a mortgage. House went in foreclosure. And after going to the mediator, because I couldn't, I didn't have money to secure a, a lawyer, I went to a mediator because you pay a lot less and they work with you. Um, I found out some financial situations and decisions that he had made that didn't involve me. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, another decision I had to make. I need to clear my name. 
And what did I do? I filed for bankruptcy. So divorce, foreclosure, bankruptcy, boom, all in one year. God. But God. But God. I knew my name was going through the mud. I didn't care because I knew my name was in heaven. Okay? So I kept looking vertical up. God is going to give me strength. He's going to give me guidance. He's going to tell me what I need to do. So I did all of that um, and moved out of the house. I got a phone call from Kim Evans. You know Kim Evans? Kim and Walter have been involved in my life since I became a Christian. They knew everything that was going on. And uh, she says, oh, because I need to move out of the house. You know, you know that orange sign that goes on the door that says your house in foreclosure? <laughs> I'm like, I need to find a home. Yeah. And I had to pack my house. My son was nine years old at the time. And, uh, you know, my children, we had to tell them everything. So what do I do? Okay. You know, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you're like, okay, we're going to do war. It's a, it's a battle here for the war. She called me up and says, hey, you know, because they, they uh, have a house. My tenant is moving out. You want to rent it? I'm like, because when you go through bankruptcy, nobody's going to rent you anything, okay? So, yes. You know, yes. Where do I sign? So, you know, Walter, my landlord, came up with the, you know, the lease. I signed on the paperwork, and disciples came and helped me move. And it was great to have a fresh start, okay? So... At that time, during that time, God healed my heart because I was bitter, I was angry. Well, not angry at God, just everything that happened. Me and my children, after all that I've given, sacrifice for a family or marriage, and then to have the, you know, my cheese tossed. I'm like, I've got to do something. But God, but God, but God. God, God, God. That's all I can say, God. Psalm 23, I held on to. You know, you read the first scripture in Psalm um, 23, and what does it say? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. End of story. Okay. So, having that in mind, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. This is, you know, you're traveling in uncharted waters, as you probably are. I didn't know if I was going left or right. And there was nobody who can, there was no guidebook. There's no guidebook. There's a cookie cutter people, you know, experience and say, okay, will you do this, you do No. It's like, okay, God, I'm here. Show me the way. I'm going to follow. I made choices. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. And God just kept opening doors upon doors upon doors. Until he finally opened a door that I was like, whoa, this is awesome. This man right here. Amazing. Amazing. I didn't think, I was like, I told Walter, I said, if anybody wants to pursue me, they go through you. Otherwise, talk to the hand. <laughs> Seriously, I had high standards. Because I had been through, and God revealed to me who he made me to be. And I embraced that. I embraced that. And when God sent this amazing man in my life, I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I I prayed for specifics. I did. I was very specific in my prayer. But I waited in God's time. You know, my close girlfriends kept saying so and so. In God's time. If he's the one, he's worth waiting for. But in God's time, I want God to choose somebody for me. I'm not finding anybody on my own because it ain't going to be pretty. <laughs> so I waited. I was happy living my singlehood, enjoying life, serving inside academy still, you know, serving a church, working full time. And uh, God sent this man to me. 
four days after, on our third date, he asked me to be his girlfriend, okay? Four days after he asked me to be his girlfriend, he ends up in the ER. And that's where life changed. But I was with him every single day because I knew, his brother said to me, Sam, I know you've only been dating my brother for a few weeks, I mean a few days. You have a choice to walk away. But knowing my God and knowing the things that have led up to this, because his wife and I were best friends. God told him, told her, they didn't share this part. She said to him, if I pass or when I pass, because she was very sick. I didn't know that until a year and a half later after he came out of the hospital and was clear headed. <laughs> but God, embrace, embrace. Everything Lindley shared, I went through. I followed those steps. Embrace. I don't know what God has planned, but I know where I'm going. Amen. Thank you. All right. So we're. I think four minutes over, so that means I got three because they took seven. Amen. <laughs> uh, last couple of points, I'll just cram them in. Uh, use your grief to serve someone else. Um, you can look at Second Corinthians one. Second um, Corinthians one talks about uh, we go through hard times. God comforts us, but that comfort is designed to comfort someone else. You know, one of the things, I, losing a daughter was tough uh, for me, but when Ona, my daughter, lost her son, you know, I, it, it, it enabled me to speak that language. I couldn't tell her and didn't tell her, I know exactly what you feel. But she knew that her dad had lost a daughter. And so we were able to have conversations on a much, much deeper level. We go through things to help other people. I appreciate Sam sh sharing about going through divorce. I'd encourage you to get some time with these two if they have time. There's so much more to the story. Uh, Dave was a doctor at that time. This is Mr. Encouragement, this brother here. Uh, both of them, uh, their story is just incredible. It's, a, it's miraculous what God does in our life. So use your grief to serve someone else. You may not be able to do it in the moment. But God will give you an opportunity to do it at some time, no matter what you think, yeah, no matter what it may be. Lastly, and Lindley talked about this, choose to worship. Worship does so much. It puts our life in perspective. When we worship, God gets bigger and our loss tends to get less. It doesn't mean our loss hurts less, okay? It doesn't mean that the pain is less real, but it's put in God's context. One of the songs that we used to, we, we, we would listen to songs. I'm not a big gospel guy, but one of the songs we listened to is this song called My Testimony. And interestingly enough, it was written by this guy Marvin Sapp, who had just lost his wife. Um, and so I'm going to close with these, these words. And we can, we can, we're over time, sorry. Um, Sorry, blame the guy before me. Blame uh, Randy McKean. He's full-time ministry. I'm not. So it's okay. <laughs> but the words are, so glad I made it. I made it through. In spite of the storm and rain and heartache and pain, I'm still alive declaring you. I made it through. See, I didn't lose. Experience lost at a major cost. 
but I never lost faith in you. So if you see me cry, it's just a sign that I'm still alive. I got some scars, but I'm still alive. In spite of calamity, he still has a plan for me. And it's working for my good. And it's building my testimony. Thank you for letting us share. Amen. Oh, I'm sorry. We do have some resources here. Um, if somebody can come and hand them out.